Good morning. morning. Turn with me your Bibles to the book of James. We'll be in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. It'll be found in the Bibles provided on page 1013. 1013. begin reading in James chapter 4 verse 13 this is God's word come now you who say tomorrow today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring what is your life for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. This is God's word. If you look in your um, order of worship, I've got the outline Um, the brief outline on your sermon notes. Um, It's very clever, um, but um, it wasn't done on, well, it was, at the end it was done on purpose, but not at the beginning. So um, the first thing I would like for us to see here in verse 13 is that God's provision can lead to our presumption. God's provision can lead to our assumption. The thing that James is taking issue with here um, at the, uh, in this passage is um, the presumption of people, specifically the presumption or the assumption of Christians um, on God. We presume in all aspects of life. We see it there in verse 13. We make presumptions about things in the short term. What we're going to do today or tomorrow Some of you right now are even thinking about what I'm going to order at lunch, and um, that's in the future. And so we don't know what lunch will hold. We don't know if there will be a long line and you'll decide to go someplace. We just don't know. We make presumptions about places we'll go or trips we'll take or things we'll do. We make presumptions about where we'll go to college or what we'll study or whom we'll marry. And we make presumptions along the way about the success that we'll have in our endeavors. We make plans all the time. And we consider how circumstances will affect those plans. Let's meet at the park this afternoon. Oh, okay. Let me check the weather and see if those showers are going to hold off or not. Let's meet for lunch. Okay, let me check traffic and I'll tell you what time I can get there. We're going on vacation next month. Let's see if we can get reservations at that restaurant or that museum we've heard so much about. I'm making plans for what to do with my income tax return. It's all part of life. We are a planning people, and we make assumptions. We presume a certain amount of consistency across our days. We love organization. We love schedules. 
We plan our lives, our work, our free time out to the minute so that there are as few surprises as possible. This isn't in the text, though we've certainly seen it in our Old Testament and our New Testament text today. The reason we can live with a comfortable level of certainty in this life is because God has been incredibly consistent in graciously providing for his creation. I can tell you with a high degree of certainty when the sun will go down on our picnic day. It's going down at 530. I can, would you like to know when the tide will be its highest in the Galveston jetties, North jetties in Galveston Bay on April 21st, 2022? It's at 10.05 a.m. Would you like to know how much of the moon will be visible that night? 79%. God has set the moon and the stars in their place. He has told the oceans, thus far shall you come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. We have hundreds and hundreds of stories, each one of us, of God's gracious provision for us, caring both miraculously for us in ways that we didn't expect and ordinary means of grace like jobs and families and inheritances and and, um, brothers and sisters in the church and friends. How about the people of Israel in the wilderness? Day after day, month after month, Year after year, God miraculously provided for his people in their wanderings. It's no wonder that we could easily find ourselves in a spot that James describes today. God's provision is so complete and his providence is so absolute that we can depend upon it. But there's a difference between depending upon it and presuming upon it. Because God is invisible and you can literally set your watch by his reign and his rule, it can easily be taken for granted. As we go about our days banking upon it, before long we begin to take it as part of the natural order and just assumptions. Yeah, that's in, we know that that success is due us. We become the value-added component that makes the difference between our lives and the lives of others. God has been so kind and so generous to us that we assume things will continue to go just the way they are. So we can say, at Christmas time, we're going to do this. Yeah, I'm totally free next week to go to that game. Sure, let's commit to that trip next summer. No problem. All right, it's not a problem. I'll just put it on my credit card. I know my... my um, Commission check is coming at the end of the month. But James tells us there's a problem with our presumption. And we see that in verse 14. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. You can presume you know, but you don't know. In our lifetimes, we have seen a day where every single airplane in the sky on a busy Tuesday morning was jerked out of the sky and grounded for days on end. Even in the last 18 months, we've had church services canceled for weeks. We had major sporting events that were part of the social fabric of our country canceled in a matter of hours. We've seen businesses and restaurants close for one day and never ever open back up again. We've had storms pop up overnight 
and bring life to a halt? Is your life any different? James tells us you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. I remember when I was in real estate, I'd just gone to work for um, uh, the Mills Corporation, and I had a friend that I was doing a big deal with. It was my first big deal, and and it was kind of his last deal. It was his one that was going to uh, allow him to just kind of hang it up one last time. And we were meeting my boss and a couple of executives in Dallas for a big dinner, and we were excited. This was going to be a big break for us. And he called me up on the way, and he said, Hey, man, I've got a stomach bug, and I'm sitting over here on the side of the road in Corsicana. I'm turning around, and I'm going home. No big deal. Until the next day, it was revealed that that wasn't a stomach bug. It was stomach cancer. And his whole body had been ravaged by cancer without his knowing. His priorities changed in an instant. A profitable real estate deal fell to about tenth in his priority list overnight. I know a man who ran the Houston Marathon on Sunday was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer on Tuesday and died on Friday. We've seen the fleeting nature of life in our midst, haven't we? Even in this season we have. The problem is we act like life is a given. We see the life expectancy numbers go up, and we'll just assume that, well, it's given that you're going to live to 78, but after 78, then you're on borrowed time. Then you better start watching out. We will always be employed. We'll all, the next job will always be better than the one we have. We'll always get paid more. We'll, the prestige will always go up job after job. My portfolio will always gain 10% because that's what it's always done. We're guaranteed that our kids will get married. We're guaranteed we'll walk them down the aisle, that they'll have children. We can clear that place on the mantle for that beach family picture. Now let's think about this for a minute, though. James is not saying, nor am I saying, that you'll never know if and when that God will stop being good to you. That's not the point of this. Because God is always good to you. But there are times in life when we can gratefully say with the psalmist in Psalm 16, the lines have fallen for us truly in pleasant places. It's noteworthy when times are good and carefree, but we know that it's always not that way. The Lord gives and the the Lord takes away. And still may the name of the Lord be praised. This is why we should never find our comfort in our circumstances, but rather in the Lord. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Jesus told us himself that in this world we will have trouble. James begins the letter by telling us what? Delight, uh, consider it pure joy when you face what? Trials of many kinds. 
we know God uses both good and bad for uh, uh, for our good and for his glory. And we considered in Ecclesiastes in our study this summer that we really don't know what's best for us. And our ideas of what is preferable are out of whack. Another thing that we should realize that James, remember that James is not saying here, he's not against planning. He's not against commitment. It's important to keep this in mind. He's not saying you don't know what tomorrow holds, so fly by the seat of your pants. He's also not encouraging you to say, hey, don't hold me accountable. Don't hold me to what I'm saying. I may show up. I may not show up. You'll know when you know. Paul's letters are filled with plans and intentions to go places and to do things. Plan trips. Dare to dream. Think about the future. Save for college. Provide for yourself in retirement. But James also, he's not against capitalism either. He's not finding fault with them because they say, oh, I'm going to go make a profit. In our New Testament, in our Old Testament reading, he talked about how their, their riches were increased and multiplied. We read in the Bible on several occasions where Jesus commends making a profit. The Proverbs 31 woman considered a field and buys it and perceives that her merchandise is profitable. We see several times in Proverbs where the wise man earns interest and makes a profit. Lord willing, next week we'll see in chapter 5 where James finds fault with the unbeliever who has wealth because he is trusting in his riches. But he's not condemning the practice of making a profit. So what is James after here? In verse 15, we see, in 14, we saw the problem with presumption. But in verse 15, we see the practice um, that he recommends, the the practice to, to overcome the problem. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, this is quite the step back from verse, the confidence of verse 13 to if the Lord wills, we will live. We can think back to the Gospels and we can see where possibly, you know, we've talked about how James has a lot of his, uh, finds his roots in Jesus' teaching, specifically the Sermon on the Mount. And we can look back and we can see um, how this gets its, inform, is informed by what Jesus said in our, in our New Testament reading. Jesus said, you don't know that this very night your life will be required of you. You know, Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, don't swear on your head. You can't control that. We saw it in our New Testament reading again here that you can't make make one hair of your head white or black. You can't add a single hour to your life. So it's not yours. He tells us, don't be worried about what you eat or what you drink or what you wear. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. And so when you're thinking or or, or talking about making plans, thinking of the future or making plans, acknowledge that the Lord is sovereign over all of it. Acknowledge that the only way we will be able to do any of this is if the Lord sees fit to allow it. He's not saying that we say Lord willing like some mantra let the the way that some think that oh if you want your if you want your prayers answered you better say in Jesus name no that's not what he's talking about rather by saying it or by thinking we are recognizing that we can't take a breath unless the lord wills it unless the lord allows it 
And it's true for every single one of us. The most faithful, the most faithful Christian to the most hardened sinner. It's good to intentionally voice it, to keep it at the forefront of our minds so that we may guard against presumption. Now, our third point, I'd like to pause from the text for a second, pause for a moment of application, and see that there are positives in in what James uh, recommends for us here. There are good benefits to, to saying if the Lord wills or thinking if the Lord wills. For one, it teaches us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. That's Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days. Teach us to savor them. Teach us to not just skid over the top of them like a boat on a lake on plain, but really to savor them and to to see the beauty in each single one of them. It enables us to show our gratitude for the Lord to the Lord for the simple things in life, all of which come from his hand. We can handle disappointments or loss so much better, so with so much more grace when we realize that we're not owed anything from the Lord. We can also be more generous with others because we don't know what the future holds. And so the need of the moment carries more weight or at least as much weight as the promise of the future. And so we're able to act in the moment and go, no, this is a good thing and respond. When we're conscious of the Lord's will, it builds our dependence upon the Lord for all things. We don't like vulnerability. We like sure things. We don't want to need God. This shows us our constant need for him and assures us of his sustaining grace. We also acknowledge that our ways are not God's ways. We don't know the whole counsel of God. And so if we don't get what we want or we are not able to do what we want to do, we can be confident that there are good reasons behind it. Knowing that if the Lord wills, we will do this or that improves our prayer life. It helps us to live urgently. It's with the, if it's within our power to do something, we ought to do it in the moment and not put it off. So if kids, if a parent asks you to clean your room or to take out the trash, and you say, yeah, I'll, I'll do it later. No, you do it now because you know that you can do it now. There is no guarantee you can do it later. This is all hypothetical. I mean, this never happens. But um, if it were to happen, you could do it now. Living like this and saying this encourages humility, which is the whole point. It encourages us to live life in submission to God and his rule. And so the last question we have here in verses 16 and 17 is, do we have the proper perspective? You may listen to all of this and think, okay, you know what? Yeah, okay, I get it. This is in the Bible. It's one little paragraph in the Bible. Is this really that big a deal? I mean, we've got real sins being committed and you're going to spend this amount of time talking about 
this, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. I'm being faulted for trying to be responsible to keep from living a reactionary life, to provide for my family and for others. And just because I don't say or think, if the Lord wills, this is a big deal. You may say, I'm not going to say, if the Lord wills. It sounds absurd. Duh. Yeah, if the Lord wills, if I'm, if I'm dead, I'm probably not going to lunch on Tuesday. I get it. But the odds are pretty good I'm going to be there. So it, goes, it should go without saying. But this attitude betrays an arrogance in your spirit that should not be ignored. Arrogance. How can it be arrogant to not say something? You're saying that you can't be bothered with acknowledging or either publicly or privately that you're not in charge of your days. We don't like to be reminded that we don't have all the answers. We want sure things. We want to know that our kids are going to turn out okay. That our financial difficulty will fully and finally be put to bed. We want those things because we don't want to be in need. We don't like loose ends. We don't want to be dependent upon God. We think we like to think of God as a policeman. And good, obeying, law-abiding citizens don't need policemen unless they get in trouble or unless they do something wrong. Good citizens interacting with good citizens don't require policemen. And good Christians interacting with good Christians don't really need God. This is arrogance. God is the one of whom Paul says in Acts 17, it is in him we live and move and have our being. God is sovereign and reigns over every aspect of our lives. And we should live as if that is true. And we are aware that it is true. Paul, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul asks us, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Which leads to the second of James's points here. Faulty finds with this in verse 16. It's not only arrogant, but you're boasting. So how is it not saying or thinking if the Lord's will, Lord wills, making plans, boasting? Look back at our New Testament reading. Look back at, at Luke 12. <clears throat> Luke 12. It's on page 871, kids, if you want to see it. <clears throat> Let's begin reading in verse 16. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Look at 17. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Eleven personal, first-person personal pronouns in three verses. I, my. 
as one comedian says, it's the me monster. The definition of boasting is excessively proud and self-satisfied talk about one's achievements, um, possessions, and or, or abilities. If that's the definition of boasting, then this man's picture is next to that definition. By God's providence earlier this week, I, while in the middle of writing and reading about this, um, I had a phone call with the guy who um, I have my retirement account with, just a normal thing to prove that he's actually doing something. And, um, and um, it was pretty humorous thinking about all of that, given kind of what I'm reading here. You know, and he's explained, no, 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 you know, I mean, there are no guarantees. I mean, six or 12 months, I mean, we don't know what will happen, but I mean, eh, this is kind of what I'm thinking. You know, but then when we're talking about what happened last year, he's like, yeah, we were really good. You know, I mean, we we hit the nail on the head. This was great. You know, and I've got all these verses ping-ponging around in my head. And in that instant, I realized two things. One of which is, if we're careful to point out that we simply don't have any idea what the future holds, then we probably shouldn't be taking too much credit for what happened in the past. And therefore, I realized in that moment that it was important to give thanks to God for his unmerited generosity that he had shown me. And so I told my friend, who's a good guy, but probably would not consider, would not describe himself as overly spiritual. I said, wow, indeed, God has been very kind to me and to you this year. This is great. Thank God. Praise God that he was able to do this. That's amazing. He didn't quite know what to do with that. After all, I'm paying him to take care of these things. But if we can't acknowledge that God is sovereign over all and hold all these things together, then we're kidding ourselves. We're boasting. There's a fine line that protects a slippery slope between not thinking nor acknowledging God and, and falling into the attitude that God warns Israel of in our Old Testament reading in, in Deuteronomy 8, where God says, Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth. If you're unable to acknowledge that God is the one that is providing for you, that is not just providing for your needs, but is providing breath in a heartbeat, then you are on the path to forgetting the Lord your God. Look at what James Leslie has to say here in verse 16. It's not just boasting. It's not just arrogance. He says it's evil. It's of Satan. Look, this may not have been a big deal on your list. If you're confessing your sins, I would, uh, I would, I would guess that this isn't one that you normally confess. You know, I don't consider you. I don't. I, I presume upon you, and I don't really think about you and my plans. And if you're a new believer, you may think, "Wow, if this is a sin, then how many other things are out there?" that are sins that I'm just not even aware of. 
but we have been warned. We've been warned. Verse 17 tells us, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is the right thing for you to do. And if you don't do it, it's sin. There are two types of sins, kids. There are sins of commission, things that you, good, uh, wrong things that you do. And then there are sins of omission, good things that we are supposed to do that we fail to do or don't know to do. We typically focus on the sins of commission, the wrong things that we have done. But the good things that we haven't done are just as serious for us. In Leviticus, God made provision for unintentional sins and sins of omission. Because our sins of omission are just as offensive to God as our sins of commission. You had one job, and that's to reflect the character of God. And we do that by not only obeying him and not following our own desires, but we also do that by hearing his word and doing it. There's a Catholic prayer that gets after this issue very well. And I I remember reciting it when I was a kid in, in the Catholic Church. And there's part of it that stated like this. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned greatly in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do. Now, where they get that prayer wrong is after that, they pray to the saints and they ask for other people there, pray to the Lord my God, our God on my behalf. Now, <clears throat> you don't have to do that. You can go directly to the throne of grace and ask forgiveness from the Lord himself. For this is why Jesus' perfect life is so necessary for us. Not just that Jesus was the spotless lamb, the perfect man dying for sinful men, but he provided to us, for us, a righteousness. Not just in never sinning, but in also doing all the things perfectly without exception. That's what we mean when we say that he is perfect in every way. He never left a conversation saying, oh, man, I wish I had said that. Oh, oh, man, I had this lying around. I had this in my pocket. I wish I would have given it to him. No, he did it all. He did every single aspect of it perfectly. There was not one sin of commission. There was not one sin of omission. And yet he still died. He died in place for boastful, arrogant, wicked people like you and me who find it burdensome and frankly a little off-putting and over the top to publicly admit that we are not the captain of our own souls. He died for people like you and me who wrongly think that our hands and our knowledge and our work have had more to do with our success than the sovereign Lord. He died for prideful people like you and me who refuse to acknowledge even in the privacy of our own homes that we are dependent upon him for every single thing we have. And he was raised. He was raised from the dead. That's proof that he is the sovereign Lord and ruler of of all things. 
And Lord, of every generation, in every year, in every hour, in every breath, in every blink. And the penalty, he also, his resurrection also proved that the penalty for your sin, all of it, both sins of omission and commission, has been paid. Go to the cross of Christ. Confess your sin. Ask for forgiveness that you don't feel the same sting of this sin as James does. Ask the Lord yourself to change your heart according to his good promises that he will give you a new heart and a new spirit to desire good things from the Lord and to think God's thoughts after him. Turn from your prideful ways and humbly trust in Christ's righteousness. Trust in his perfect life. Trust in his sacrificial death. Trust in his victorious resurrection. And trust in his life-giving reign in heaven right now on your behalf. Yes, we want to live confident lives, confident upon the Lord, but never in presumption. We want to live in such a way that depends upon and glorifies our Lord above. Ever thankful for his good, generous, consistent, timely gifts, as well as his sustaining grace. And Lord willing, with God's help, Christ our Savior Baptist Church will do just that. Let's pray. Father God, forgive us for every single time that we have, even for a moment, thought it is my hand that did this. Or it is my skill that got me this. For we are your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which you prepared in advance for us to do. Lord God, show us our vain confidence. We pray that we would see the beauty of vulnerability and humility. To see the beauty of publicly professing our weakness. And depending upon the Lord. Lord, you are a good God. Forgive us for taking your gracious rule for granted. Thank you for raising the sun this morning. Thank you for giving us life and breath while we slept. Thank you for giving us this day. And Lord, let us rejoice and be glad in it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.